listeners. I'm Christina Redko. Welcome to Alive. I invited my friend, Joel Glensberg. Listen to what his work is. I'm one of the founders of Regenesis. We work all over the world, and we work with what we call regenerative development and design. And we've worked primarily within what's called the development industry to try to shift what people think about what development is, what it means to actually develop land, places, communities. And we focused on that development industry because it's one of the most destructive forces on the planet. But it could be one of the most regenerative forces on the planet. I asked Joel to start by explaining what we both understand as living systems. I will confess that I have been asked if my podcast was about air conditioners and heating systems. Can you imagine that? Most of our problems stem from the fact that we treat the world like it's a machine that has problems we can fix. Replace it or you can remove it. And living systems don't work that way. The problems in living systems are usually transformational growing pains. So if you tried to fix the crack in a hatching chick's shell, you would kill it. You have this beautiful, perfect shell and all of a sudden it's cracking and you put some glue in it or you duct tape it, you're going to prevent it from transforming into the next level of expression. And it's not understanding that living systems are constantly growing, developing, changing, and evolving that's the source of most of our problems. And we could look anywhere the way this works. I remember years ago, uh, I had a field and it was full of weeds and I spent a lot of time and energy tilling it up to plant a cover crop to improve the soil, create organic matter. And I was not terribly effective. And the part of the field I hadn't tilled up by the end of the summer was soft weeds, almost waist high or higher. They had deep tap roots and the weeds had done the job of improving the soil that I had killed up the weeds to put in a cover crop to do. And it was because I was thinking about it, of I was the master and I was gonna do this stuff to the soil, not realizing that the soil was trying to do it for itself and that I could simply help it do that work for itself. And that's part of our human role in living systems is not to do stuff to living systems, but to use our eyes well to see the future, to see the potential of where things could go. And so we could work with them well to bring them, them out. And that's what we humans do so well, is we're good at appreciating things. Dave Abram says that, and we can bring out its beauty, we can bring out its potential. And that's what's best about human beings and what we can do with the world. And it's why it's so sort of sad when we treat the world like a commodity and just try to jam it into boxes. And we depreciate it instead of appreciating. It's all about the stories we tell ourselves. 
And one of the things I hear repeatedly from my indigenous friends is this idea of our original instructions. So much the message of the environmental movement is that people are bad, that we are the problem. And the more we repeat that, the more we don't have a choice but to think we're bad. And that any teacher, any parent knows that if you tell a child they're smart and they're beautiful and they're strong and they're brave, they will be smart and beautiful and strong and brave. So we have to be careful the stories we tell about ourselves because we can box ourselves into corners. We, instead of saying that people are bad, we say, oh, we've lost track. We've forgotten our original instructions. We've forgotten that we're here to be appreciators, to help bring out the beauty in the world around us. And that's a reorientation instead of a judgment, right? If we're just bad, then the only solution is to get rid of us or to try to be less bad instead of how are we actually good? How are we beautiful? How are we playing our role in the system just like the oak tree is, just like the blue jay? Joelle is always teaching how to observe the patterns of our living world. Yes. So one of the patterns that we use a lot in this framework we call the law of three. One of the things that happens in, when we see the world in pieces is we end up seeing breaking the world in two. There's like my way and your way. There's right and wrong. There's this kind of division of the world into two. The living world doesn't work that way. The living world is always using that tension to create a deeper harmony. Right. So there's this great phrase from a pre-Socratic philosopher where he says, they don't see how pulling apart is pulling together as in the back bent tension of the bow and the lyre. So if you're, um, the limbs of your bow don't pull apart, you can't shoot the arrow. If the neck of your guitar doesn't pull against the body, you can't even tune it, let alone play a song. This is how the framework of the law of free emerged in one of the development projects Joel worked on. So was working on a project in Arizona, and it was a really great project where um, this ranch was being developed in such a way that regardless of how much land people bought, whether it was an acre or 25 acres, they got a half acre building envelope. And the rest of the land was all put into a conservation easement that was held by a nonprofit. And they would work to regenerate that wild land, make it healthier, heal the erosion, invasive exotic species, all of those things. And as that landscape became healthier, people's home values would go up. And so the nonprofit was set up. Um, a gentleman was hired to run the nonprofit, and he and I were going around. And it was getting late in the day, really beautiful landscape, big oaks and deer and all kinds of unique and beautiful species. And we came to this this one lot that was on the edge of a mesa. It was overlooking a canyon. And, and we walked to the edge, and just below us was the top of an enormous oak tree. And in it was a huge nest of a Mexican black hawk couple. And Jeffrey got really excited about seeing this nest. It's not really a threat in the species, but it's relatively rare. And this was kind of their favorite place to nest because it was a south-facing cliff full of lizards, and that was their favorite food. So Jeffrey immediately said, 
we have to take this law off the market. We have to protect these black hawks at any cost. So we went back and we talked to the developer. He, of course, got very upset because he said, I'm putting 80% of the land into a conservation easement. I can't take this lot off the market. We need the money. So they had a sort of squabble for the next two days. And finally, we sat them both down. We said, Jeffrey, okay, what is it you really want? You jumped to this idea of taking it off the market. What do you really want? He said, that nest needs to be protected, particularly during the nesting season. Maybe we need to hire a guard. Um, I don't know, but we need to protect them. I said, okay, let's not go down the lane of designing how to do it, but you're valuing protecting the nest. He said, yes. So then we turned to David and said, what do you really want? He said, I'm all for protecting the nest. That's why anyone would want to buy this lot and live here. But I need to pay my loans back. I need to make money off of this product, and I can't afford to take this lot off the market. And so we went off and we thought for a minute what both of them were valuing, protecting the Blackhawks and making money instead of judging one or the other. And so we came back and we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to increase the the price of the lot by $40,000, $50,000, and we're going to put all kinds of constraints on it. You can't build during the nesting season, no cats or dogs, no outdoor lighting on that side, on and on and on. And um, Jeffrey was confused, and the developers started to laugh. And uh, he said, oh, I see. The people who are going to want to live by those constraints and pay more money care more about the Black Hawk than you do because they're willing to spend $50,000 on it. So they will not be breaking these restrictions, and they'll actually be keeping others from disturbing the nest because that's what they really want. And so that's the kind of reconciling creative ideas we're always looking for in projects is not either or solutions, but Mm -hmm. both and solutions that are ideas we haven't had before. And that's the problem is that we're so used to just repeating ideas we had before um, that don't necessarily fit very well. The law of free describes an activating force in opposition to a restraining force. The reconciling force emerges from the impulse to create value and benefit for all levels of the system. Reconciling is not the act of reaching a compromise, nor a consensus. Reconciling is the act of aligning, harmonizing, and attuning one or more parts of the system with the greater whole. Joel will tell us one more story to conclude. And my children help me with this so much. What is my responsibility? It's not about what are my rights, it's what is my responsibility to the future. Um, If I'm going to be a good leader, a good human being even, it's important to help bring out potential. So there's, there's a story that I love teaching these Native American permaculture classes. And there was a, a lot of Native youth and Hispanic youth and white youth and different age groups and different races. 
And I was supposed to be in front of the room speaking, and this elder Pueblo man got up. It was after lunch, two were milling around talking, and he said, hey, make a fist and lift your hand up in the air. Yeah, you. So everybody made a fist and lifted it up, and he said, look at the knuckles on the back of your hand. See how they go up and down, up and down, like the mountain ridge, like the river in the valley. Look at your forefinger and your thumb and how they spiral just like the water behind the rocks, just like the galaxy. And then he pointed at every one of us, made eye contact with every one of us, and he said, no square people here. We all belong. And he made me realize that that shift in perspective of us belonging changed everything. That if we're the problem, we're only going to be trying to come up with mechanistic solutions to our problems. But if we belong and we're here for a reason, then we have to figure out why we're here. We have to figure out what is our role. And we look for, not just as a, as human beings, what is our role, but me as an individual, what is my unique gift, my unique role that I'm bringing to this party that the world is dying for me to bring? And that's a much more inspiring question than how do I be less bad? And so, I've always remembered that as a great gift from his name is uh, Mr. Conchella. That's, that's that least change for the greatest effect. We all stopped thinking we were bad and trying to be less bad and began to try to figure out what is our gift? What is the world dying for us to give? What is our, our original instructions? What is our role? It changes the game entirely. Thank you for listening. Please share, subscribe, support, and rate this show and all those amazing things you do with podcasts. Just go to alivepodcast.net. Engage with Alive by recording your questions into pod inbox forward slash alive. This show celebrates the wonders of being alive.